If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. What's happening? It is Podcast Unlocked here at IGN, episode number 60 for June 21st, 2012. My uh, companion, my compatriot, my life partner, Mitch Dyer. Joining me as always. Hi, Mitch. That was a lot of titles. Well, you know, you've earned them all in a Good. very short, short, short span of time. And in my in my ongoing effort to try and get to know each of my new IGN coworkers a little bit better, Anthony Gallegos from IGN PC sitting in as well. Yeah, now you get lots of comments about why is a PC editor here. Yeah. Because he would like Xbox. Yeah. Because you like games also? That would be a good answer, right? And there will be stuff that you guys will talk about this week that kind of cross over. That's very true, actually. So. In fact, you're the perfect person to be here. It's almost as if we planned to have you here. We didn't. He's filling in at the last second for someone else. <laughs> yeah. But we appreciate it nevertheless. <laughs> Uh, so what's been going on? There is a ton to get to. We've got Walt Williams stopping by. You may not know that name, but you will very soon. He's a real good guy. Uh, he's the lead writer on Spec Ops. He's the lead writer at 2K Games. So he gets to actually literally write video games for a living, which sounds like a pretty good job. Yeah. yeah. That sounds possibly as good or better than writing about video games for a living. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he gets to... to I mean, it's got to be pretty nerve-wracking at the same time. Like, like we write stuff that gets judged by commenters, but... Yeah. But uh, writing stuff that's being like judged for its creative merits, like I don't think people commenters don't judge our creative merits that much. Probably they not, just talk no. a lot of crap about opinions <laughs> they don't like. But this guy, it's like people will just say like, you know, that two years you spent your story sucked. Yeah, <laughs> forget it. I finished it in three hours, and now it's I can declare formally that it sucks. <laughs> two years. He's probably been writing that game since like oh eight because they announced that game oh, in two thousand nine. I asked him. I asked him. Oh, we'll did find out. Uh, Mysteries ahead of time. Yeah. So if you're wondering why I can peer into the future, it's because I already recorded this interview. And but it will through the magic of editing, it will appear seamless to you, the listener. (laughs) Um, What else? I uh, I should comment. So it's been a lot of you got to love the internet, right, guys? So you've got you've got uh, my old listeners who've come over from OXM, and you've got your listeners Uh who've been listening to podcast unlock since before I got here. True. And 
what I've what I've learned quickly is that people don't like change. No. So you've got you've got the OXM people that came over with me. They're like, "Hey Ryan, love the new show, love the format." And then you've got the the existing podcast unlocked fan base. They're like, "The new guy's boring. He sucks. I want it cursing. I want uh, profanity. More profanity. I want, yeah, I want bad language." And then you know, other people are like, "I like PG thirteen. I like uh, having being able to listen while my kids are around." So what I've come to learn is. A, I'm going to do it my way, but B, there's there's room for a happy middle ground. So Ryan really rules IGN, you, and, Xbox, and you with won't, an iron you fist. won't really please everyone. No, that's and that's true. exactly right. So just all I ask, you know, well, I'm not going to censor anyone, but you know, try to think of the children. That's all I ask as we as we continue our broadcasts around here, and hopefully, uh, everybody will will find something they like on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I did my first review. Uh-huh. Which was a hell of a memorable one How this week. Steel Battalion Heavy Armor. Wow, what game a game. really good. Ryan utilizing the whole scale right out of the yeah. <laughs> You think IGN only uses the upper three points, huh? Well, let me tell you, that's not the case at all. The Xbox team is here to change all that. <laughs> Threes and ones and twos. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it's funny. As I was writing it, uh, I was wondering what other outlets were. I was like, I knew it wasn't going to get good scores from, from most of the the gaming media community and sure enough three seemed to be the most popular number yeah for steel battalion just yes, about sir. everybody was at a three um it's it's unfortunate i mean i i can tell you guys i legitimately really wanted to like that game i was actually pretty excited heading into it because on paper it's such a great idea like microsoft's been promising us the whole hybrid thing of using connect with the controller at the same time they've been promising that since it back when it was called project natal and this is ga- this is the first game that actually fully requires it i mean forza forza 4 had it as an option they could do the you could do the head tracking head tilting with the gamepad but this is the first game where it's actually straight up required and so i just i really wanted to like the game and the original steel battalion is you you can't not respect that game total cult classic it was a very interesting xbox exclusive that's yeah. for sure <laughs> uh, it probably didn't make capcom any money uh, i would think they, I, mean, 100% when I was in college money. and i remember <laughs> me and three of my friends being like if we all throw in 50 dollars, we yeah, could get this we game. can afford this 200 dollars game with its giant 40 button controller so mm-hmm. man i really wanted to like the sequel because it's you know, so many Kinect games are just, they have crap bolted on, like either the voice commands or just pointless gestures that are slower and uh, detract from the game experience compared to a simple button press. But this game actually was thinking bigger, like what can we, how can we really build a hardcore game around Kinect? But holy crap, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> really spectacularly fails. That's And that's pretty universal, right? Everyone on every outlet that's yeah. been writing about it at one point in time or another even the ones that have reviewed it more positively still have some comment in there at yeah. some point about how, how about it it's like you're fighting it the yeah. whole time if it works at all yeah so. uh, it, i would love to see them take another crack at this on connect 2 you know with with the next xbox because i do think i've said this before uh, maybe not on this show since i just got here but microsoft has a history and Anthony, you can you can attest to this uh, from your perspective. Microsoft has a history of getting things right on the second time, 
Like yeah. whether it's Windows, or actually Windows took three versions for them to like Windows 3.0 was the first real good one. But yeah. whether it was Windows or even, you know, Xbox, the second Xbox, the 360 was the one that really took it to the next level. Xbox Live, they it was fine on the original Xbox, but then they really integrated it second time around. I was just saying, even the Xbox 360, the first one out the gate had technical issues. And That's then, right. And then, yeah, since with, then they fixed the boards. You're so. absolutely right. Uh, and even and then Xbox Live Arcade's another great example. They they dabbled with it right at the end of the original Xbox run, where they had freaking fifteen dollar Miss Pac Man, and it's like, well, okay. But then they fi- then they totally integrated it into three hundred and sixty, and it's been a an, an established part of the Xbox ecosystem from day one. So I've I've said since since Connect launched, I really think that Connect Two is going to be the one that technically really delivers, and maybe we'll actually see some cool games built around it. But Steel Battalion, not that game. Nope, not at all. Um, When's so that, that Connect game coming? Because it's not here yet. Yeah. I, I, yeah. At this point, there's no. I would not buy a Connect to play games as no. someone who likes to play a lot of of uh, <clears throat> however you want to call them core games or whatever. Yeah, right. I, you know, I will. I do think the Dan Central series. I'm not sure it's necessarily worth purchasing the hundred fifty dollar Connect itself, but they are great. Yeah, they, they are. Those the, games, they are, the, are rad. Far and away the best experiences you can have. I do use my Connect for Connect. for Media Center control. So there you that. go. It does have it does serve a purpose. Yeah. And the other thing that's happening this week, I'm quickly learning to love you guys because on like my fourth day in the office after E3, <laughs> I think it was the end of the week last week, an email thread breaks out where we're just everyone's sending because it was the 25th, Fifth. 25th yeah. anniversary of the animated GIF. And uh, so they just started going around in a wild office-wide email chain, and you could just you just hear someone start cracking up, and then you'd hear the, another person as soon as they saw it. GIFs might be the most important invention to the, <laughs> the proliferation of the internet. It's true. Yeah, certainly it's better than Twitter. It, GIFs it, are better than Twitter. I like GIFs so much. They're so a, good. A good a good well-timed GIF can completely turn turn around my entire day. That's why I agree. Like, animalsbeingdicks.com is the best website cuz it's nothing but the best <laughs> it's the best animal related gifts of all time. Uh, I didn't even know about this but now Dude, I now to. I'm uh, yeah, I'm clicking right now. It's just this Tumblr of animated gifts of animals being mean to people or each other <laughs> it's suddenly it's great. thousands of people just clicked pause on this podcast uh-huh. and they went to look and now they're coming back. Well, so, they're welcome. Well, ho- welcome I back. Hope you, I hope you liked that. <laughs> yeah. So let's get started with uh, with the news. News unlocked. Let's go around the room. Uh, I'm going to come to Anthony in a second on the next story because that's uh, that's a really interesting one for for both PC and Xbox. But Mitch, I'm going to start with you on this. this yep. The big leak. You wrote this up over the weekend. We all tracked it. Um, I saw it. I saw the thread then break out and the internet explode with this alleged 56-page Xbox 720 Microsoft future strategy five-year plan uh-huh. thing. And immediately I clicked on it. I went, now it's fake. Yep. You know, I took a look at it and went, nope. And then I moved on. But there's some evidence beginning to mount that this could be real. I guess the, the, the sleuths of the internet... Um, mainly the folks on NeoGAF, who are a very resourceful group of people, this if nothing true. else. They, I guess uh, there are signs indicating now that this the document may have actually come from within Microsoft. 
I'm starting to get Stockholm syndrome with that document because I saw it and it was like, no, nah, this is hokey and like everything about it looks fake and sounds fake and it's like, no, eh, this is probably just some college kid's business final. Like, right. you know, make a five year plan for an existing company. Well, for the uh, for anyone that may have missed it either on IGN this week or the greater internet, what can you give us the highlights of what this document alleges about yeah, the future so of Xbox? It, it's supposed to have come from like 2010 and it involves all sorts of stuff like the Next Connect, which makes minor improvements. Uh, it allows four-player co-op or four players in one Simultaneous, space. Yeah. yeah. It adapts to your living room, so like if you have a table in the middle, it just figures it out that that's a table. It also has two sensors, right? No, I see. I don't know if that's meant to be. Well, that was there a sketch. Two yeah, there was a sketch okay. in yeah. the in the presentation, which yeah, Mitch and I were theorizing. Well, that just means it can still only read two people, but per you can connect. plug in two connects. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. yeah, me too. Which would make plenty of sense. Yeah, because sure. then they could sell you. They'd, they'd ship one in the box for two pl- two players, and it's a great way to, to monetize. Well, you can have four yeah. players yeah, if you spend right. another $100 on another Connect. And to that theory, like that would make sense if the, if the idea of it being $299 included in the next Xbox, the Xbox 720, which is... I, I feel like Microsoft would never use that name internally, but there's apparently rumblings with people who are like, yeah, you know, maybe they did. Apparently, maybe, yeah, we'll see. I mean, why not, right? If, if it already has enough recognition amongst the audience that yeah. people already, like, if you said it, people would already know what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. And I will say this, it it would be, it might be a little confusing, even on an internal code name uh, colloquial level, to call it Xbox 3, which is what, it, just because it would be a little confusing with Xbox 360. Right. And that's, sure. that's definitely why they called it the 360, right? Is so that when you would hear the name Xbox 3, you would... It kind yeah, of to equate with, it with PlayStation. The PS3. Yeah, exactly. Calling it the Xbox Two or something would make it sound inferior. So, you, so. yeah. So you mentioned uh, this. This document alleges two hundred ninety nine dollars for the Xbox Seven Twenty with Connect. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that for two Not seconds. Not me either. No, well, only if it, only if that's a MSRP along with the subscription. Like that's the only way. Yeah, so they're going to do that, oh, and then if, yeah. and then like a two dollar, a two year, fifteen dollar a month subscription, right? Which includes gold, right. Xbox exactly. Live Gold, kind of like the ninety nine dollar thing they just rolled out. Exactly. exactly. I, I mean, I could see if that worked out for them, like them being like, well, you could do that, or you yeah. could just buy the system straight up for like five hundred bucks. Right. Because yeah, that's the thing is, I, I think this generation <laughs> taught us taught everyone very explicitly. Um, you do not price a, a launch console over three ninety nine because Sony saw what how how yeah. bad things can get if you do true yeah. so i that's what i've always maintained just given that i i think the next systems will all be four hundred dollars out of the gate i don't know yep. about the wii u uh because that thing's a freaking wild card but certainly the ps4 and the 720 i think are going to be four hundred dollar systems i think they they would like for them to be I, I, i'm curious if they can do that with the hardware they want to put in them yeah I don't know. true so what uh, what else was in this the, the most interesting thing about it was this fortaleza project which is this uh, like it's glasses for connect they did, like they refer to them as connect glasses but it's right. like basically a virtual reality system where you have these wi-fi glasses that let mm-hmm. you interact with a game in your real life space yeah uh now it, it's also worth mentioning again it's, if this is a fake it's a very well researched one because fortaleza is is a city in uh, brazil is that correct yeah, uh, somebody had emailed in because we wrote about that in the story. Like, oh, Fortaleza, like Natal, is a is the capital of a state in the northeastern part of Brazil or something. Right. And someone emailed me. It was like, dude, Natal just means like Christmas in Brazil. <laughs> it doesn't mean necessarily the place. Well, Microsoft does have a long history. They name their products. They are all code named after cities. There yeah. was uh, Chicago, Memphis, back with Windows ninety five ninety. 
Five was, I think, Memphis. I have no idea. One of them was Memphis, and then either 98 or Millennium Edition was Chicago. So they, they do this. They do name their right. products. They codename them after cities for some reason. I mean, it's entirely possible they could do something like that. The way I, the impression I got from it is that it basically puts, like, HUDs. But yep. instead of HUD being on the screen, it'd be actually, it's like, in your, in your face. Like, kind of similar to the Google uh, eyewear yep. yeah. f- promo video they did a while back. Mm-hmm. Which so it's worth mentioning this Fortaleza thing, if proven real, uh, it would it's further on in the timeline, yeah, right? Like I think they would unveil it in 2014, after like a year after the 720 is out, and then in 2015 is when it would kind of become fully realized with 3G and it would connect to your phone and all sorts of stuff. Which makes a lot of sense because you know Microsoft is a big company. They're also that means they're also very very predictable when something works. They're going to stick to it. Like, if you look at, from our perspective as gaming media people, the last couple Halo games have followed the exact same PR pattern. You know, the, they start with a, you know, a, a, a reveal online, and then it just builds. They do, they just do, they hit certain milestones at certain points where you know, okay, the the multiplayer reveal is coming around this time, and this is going to happen here. And that's what I think they're going to, they're going to follow the 360 game plan, at least as far as what worked. They're going to stick to what worked with 720, too. That's why I think it'll be, a, you know, they're going to hook up with MTV or some a bigger network if they can get one to bite to do a reveal on the console in a, in a half hour, hour long TV special right. next year, the way they did with MTV uh, before E3 for the Xbox 360. And I think it'll be a $400 console, and you look at with the 360, Connect came online later on in the life cycle and gave it, it was a huge uh, stimulus boost, you know, to the sales of the hardware, so the Fortaleza glasses coming online later makes a ton of sense from that perspective. It also makes a ton of sense because I feel like uh, we're about that far out from that technology being ready. Like, even the Google yeah. glasses, they've said, like, are not going to be ready for a few years before any type of consumer stuff, and even Valve recently has been posting about how they've been working on, at least as a side project, one of the developers there has been working on wearable computing eyewear. So, and I even, mean, it's, it's like a trend that is happening in the industry Microsoft right now. does have a patent right now for some kind of, like, headpiece, basically exactly this kind of thing. So it, it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, after reading through this document many times and writing about it and kind of talking to people about it, it's starting to sound more and more legitimate as time goes on. I mean, it's totally legitimate they could be working on it, whether or not it'll ever see the light of oh, day. Yeah, I mean, totally. Microsoft shows things multiple times in, that they've killed. You yep. know, like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, the Courier tablet was, like, the coolest thing I had ever seen when they showed, like, a promo video for that, and then they just killed that project, so. <laughs> now, it's uh, it could also be, um, it could be, it could have still come from within Microsoft, but it could be fake from within Microsoft as a, as a red herring, a smokescreen to throw off the public and competitors who may be sniffing around so there's that to consider as well that's true anti-corporate espionage (laughs) exactly you never see that's it i would not you know in this day and age of of uh you know information being so not only valuable but hard to lock down with twitter and the internet i wouldn't put anything past them so uh another rumor this past week was the xbox surface a tablet that looked like it was going to be smart glass ultimately realized immediately and we'd be playing xbox live arcade games uh, on a tablet what they actually announced a couple days later proved to be uh, pretty cool but not exactly xbox and it certainly wasn't xbox branded but 
Anthony, what is this thing? This this Microsoft Surface tablet. I mean, that uh, document that leaked leaked was was more accurate than we thought in some regards. I mean, it was still it was called Surface. Like they yeah. kept the Surface name. I wonder, like, how? Why does that exist? What do you mean? That like that leaked document comes out right for the Xbox alleged Xbox Surface, and then the next day they announce the Surface, but it's it's different specs and it's a different thing. It's unrelated to Xbox. Why did that document exist? I mean, maybe that was like a proposed thing from a long time ago, okay. and then right. it was never. They decided it wasn't going to happen, or All maybe right. they decided not to brand it Xbox. Yeah. Um, you know the the thing about this the new Surface is the old Surface was like this twelve thousand dollar table you could do multi touch with, but you know no one could afford it except for like the CEOs and. Uh, and so this new one, you know, the, these are these are like consumer grade. This is their chance at trying to break into consumer grade tablets, which is not the first time they've done this. They tried in like 2002 or 2003, I think. Somewhere around It's there. just right. that this is the first tablet, though, that, they, that they're manufacturing themselves. Like the other tablets they did, it was always partnered. It was always like, you know, they worked with, with other manufacturers to make this. This was completely hidden. They did all this themselves, and they plan on manufacturing themselves. And they're totally going after like the Apple market straight up, like the way that yep. they're the, with their aesthetic design, the way they're handling their commercials, the way they're handling their own reveal at their own private event instead of using something like CES. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you have in these are two tablets. One is much more uh, on the level of like an iPad um, in the sense of the hardware it has. You know, it's very much a tablet. It's 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 like a a slightly souped up smartphone. That that that's like the more base one. And then they have another one that's actually like basically it's a it's a PC, a, a, a lower spec PC crammed into, or not even that low, it's a, it's a decently it's spec decent PC, PC crammed into a tablet. Um, and that one, the interesting thing about that one to me is that that one can run program 86 files, which is like, you know, Windows files, and it will run Windows 8. So in theory... Hmm. You could just download Steam, right? It has a USB port, and so I, in theory, <laughs> I could hook a mouse up to this thing and, and download Windows programs on it and play Windows games. A mouse or an Xbox 360 controller. 100%. They'll, of course they'll do that, right? It'll, it has to have drivers to just naturally recognize yeah. that. But that's pretty interesting. You know, I mean, that's the biggest thing that holds back any tablet, like an Android tablet or anything, is that you buy this Android tablet and you're like... Well, what apps am I going to have, right? That's why I, the Apple iPad has such an advantage is that it has the App Store. So if you're limited to like an in-house Microsoft App Store, like the way you were with like Windows phones or Zune HD, it's kind of unexciting. But when you can download Windows programs and run them, that's pretty incredible. Depends on pricing, though. That's yeah, what of course. Comes down it's going to be. They say they're going to price it competitively, but they don't say whether that's competitively with like laptops or tablets. But well, I mean, even it's competitively still with kind of... tablets, it's like you have an iPad which start at five hundred dollars, yeah, right. or do you? Competitive, competitively priced with other tablets that are like three hundred dollars. You know, there's different. Yeah. So I wonder if there's any way. You know, certainly not right away. I'm sure, but at some point down the road, if if there is any possibility that we'd be playing Xbox Live Arcade games on, you know, go from our Xbox 720 to over to this thing. That would be that would be the most exciting thing, right? Like if they could do cross platforming like that, that is even more exciting to me. Very. And then, uh, then a PlayStation Vita crossplay, which, oh, yeah. uh, first off, they're not delivering on right now anyways. But, um, but yeah, that, the idea that I could do that, literally take these games on the go with me, is, is super important to me. Only because, if anything, I think Microsoft's learned how important the Xbox Live Marketplace is. I'm sure it will only become more important in the next generation, too. Definitely. With, with, with them embracing free-to-play games, which will be downloadable things through Xbox Live, I'm sure, as right. well. So. I don't know. That could that could completely change my mind about that if if they can get some sort of cross platform. And, and that would probably be about the only thing, barring a, a you know a Sony like f up from Apple, that's going to get me to ditch my iPad. If I if if we're if I can play Xbox games with my profile and my uh, gamer score, 
good games. I'm not talking about Windows Phone games. Those don't count. But like good actual sort of current gen experience type things on a on a Surface tablet. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, if Microsoft yep. can shell out the the money initially to get developers to want to invest in developing games for that and maybe subsidize some of it early on to get a- adoption, that could work out really well. All right. Well, uh, did actually uh, real quick, did they give any sort of release time frame for these two things? Uh, these two I tablets. Did, I don't think they did. I don't think they even said this year. I, I mean, it would surprise me if it wasn't this year, but Christmas, like, I figured Probably. it has to come out it, yeah. in the holiday season. Otherwise, why do an event in June, right? It, exactly. And, you know, Microsoft doesn't have any other hardware coming out this Christmas. So, I mean, well, I guess Windows 8 stuff. So uh, that would be perfect. You know, you sell that along with Windows 8. Yep. Windows 8's out, and here's some new tablets that run Windows 8. So Yeah, good call. I did like that this that the tablet, the Surface, has a... Has a little uh, kickstand built into, like, built into the case. It's I like know. A nice little imagine touch, right? that, right? They, they they really did do a lot of smart things. There's like a pen on it that you can pull out, so it has a stylus, I think, right? Yep. Yeah, an optional pen though. You can still just touch around it. Right, you right, want. right. But it's just the fact that it has one. Like I've thought sometimes, man, I really wish I had a stylus for my iPad. But the, even even if I did, then there's no place for it to go. That one's like it works inside the body. The stand yep. is built into the body. Even if you buy the optional keyboard, it fits on the body like a natural case, like. Everything in that it's like the it's like one of the most well created user like user friendly interface wise devices they've made. Yeah, go Microsoft. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, and one more note on Microsoft here. The next news item: Microsoft has announced that they will not be attending either the Gamescom show, which is basically the European E3, or the Tokyo Game Show in September, which. Uh, TGS has has been a pretty big deal in recent years, but n- not really for Microsoft, right? Because the Xbox 360 exactly. is such a massive failure in Japan. I mean, we saw the last time Microsoft because they didn't. I don't think they showed up last year either. I don't think so to TGS specifically. Right. And the last time they showed up in 2010, they brought. Uh, they said, "Oh, we've got like these five or six new Japanese developed Connect games. One of them was Steel Battalion. One of them... Project Draco. Project Draco, which is coming soonish. Yeah. Um, And quite frankly, I don't even remember what the hell the other two or three of them were. Diabolical Pitch, maybe. I think you're correct. I think that's one of them. So, um, yeah, I just think think these two announcements say, hey, we don't really have anything new to show you guys. I think it's that, too, and it's also that maybe they don't see the value in attending like Gamescom anymore when it's so soon after E3. Yeah. And it's like, and and increasingly, like the Euro press all come over for E3 anyways. That's true. So if you're trying to get more coverage out of it, is, I don't know if that's necessarily like worth worth the, the investment because it's yeah. got to be substantial. You know? <laughs> Although at the rate we're going, uh, Gamescom could end up being E3 next year because we might, as we've talked about on previous, we might not have an LA convention center to yeah. have E3 at next year with that football stadium they yeah, want to I mean, put in I that mean, spot. They've, they've talked about moving it to Chicago. They've talked about moving to San Francisco, which would be yeah. great. Oh, please, be please, please, please. Yes, it would be great to be able to actually go home at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, but, if uh, not if not San Fran, have, I'm going to vote Vegas or no, New, New York. No. They've talked about New York as well. Please yeah. not Vegas. What do you mean? Um, yeah, dude, that city is such a slum. What? I feel dirty just being in Vegas. It's Vegas, dude. Ugh. It's good times. It is good times. I got douche chills just thinking about it. <laughs> just all those people are the worst. You are too Canadian. <laughs> You're supposed to be nice. Not to Vegas. Not to Vegas. I ne- now I know Mitch's weakness. It's like uh, Vegas gives Vegas him douche chills. Vegas coming up. He's going. <laughs> yeah. It's Hey, Mitch, guess what? Okay. All right. Uh, so then the next couple items up for bids here on The Price is Right. 
THQ. We can't seem to go a week without talking about THQ. I really wish we could. Me too. Because they have some games coming out that I, I want to come out. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want you to close before these games come out. Well, and <laughs> on that note, that's a great segue, uh, Mr. Gallegos, is Saints Row Enter the Dominatrix. You guys will recall this was an expansion pack that when they announced it, at just at or just before E3, right? Just before. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. very, very short. They said it's going to be, it's like sort of a superhero themed, like it, it, it's a parody of the Matrix. Like it's as if, you know, you're in, like Saints Row is the Matrix and you have sort of these Neo-like superpowers. And it sounds totally goofy and over the top and actually really fun. Like right. yep. that world is so just crazy as it is if you've kind of got these crazy superpowers in it that sounds like a blast but even at the time when they announced it it kind of sounded like you know they said oh we're doing this it's going to be out this holiday it's a standalone expansion pack it totally to me said cash grab we need money let's put out another iteration even if it's a half-assed expansion pack thing of our biggest selling thing right now well the the past dlc packages did really well and yeah. they're all very very good but so the news this week is now that the new uh boss at thq this guy jason rubin who used to run naughty dog who <laughs> this guy jason rubin well x our, our xbox audience might not know who he is yeah because naughty dog is you know a sony they're a sony studio um but anyway so jason rubin has come in and he's shaking things up and his first major move here he has said now of course he's put his own spin on it but the bottom line is Saints Row Enter the Dominatrix will now be a full title out in 2013, and it will not be uh, an ex- a standalone expansion coming out this year. What do you guys make of this? I mean, it could ultimately be something worthwhile. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, wasn't uh, ODST started out as a as like DLC for yeah, it did. Halo Three, and then yeah. that turned into something that ended up good with enough Great time. Great point. So it's like maybe. The guys of Volition, they, they're split into two teams there, or they were. One team, there are two floors of this building, and one team used to be doing Red Faction, one team used to be doing Saints Row. Now they've said they're not doing Red Faction anymore. Right. So I imagine, like, if if they have that time and that huge staff, they could probably t- turn, like, a turn over, like, a new Saints Row in that amount of time. Which, is, which will be two years, yeah, yeah. Roughly. Uh, so. Possibly less, I guess, uh, depending when in 2013 right. they release it. I To me, I... From from a pure armchair analyst perspective, sitting in my my cozy office without you know having to run THQ like Jason Rubin does, I don't know. It seems like a bad idea to me when THQ is in such dire straits and they do need money. I mean, it's true they did lower their financial like uh, predictions by like twenty million. 20 million. Yeah. Well, it's because they don't have anything for 2012 now. Right. They, they don't. Well, they don't nothing. have. They have. They don't have. A, this was going to be their holiday title. They don't have a holiday title. They have the, one game, 2012. They have a couple games in 2012 still. Really? What's yeah. left? They have WWE still. Oh god. And, those always sell. Yeah, those and they sell. Have, and they have Dark Siders too. That, I'm just saying. Oh, man. Which, which is a wild card. But they have Dark Siders. I keep reading Dark Siders exists. Yeah, yeah. it's coming out. Not a good sign. Comes out August. August. I know. So, so but yes. Yeah, um, what I, I mean, I think that with this, it's you know they don't have anything this year. They needed money, and what? So when are they going to put it out in 2013? They they either put if they put it out in the first quarter. The first quarter is ludicrously crowded. The, the first quarter is like Christmas times two next yeah, year. It really There's is. There's a ton mm-hmm. of good games, including THQ's own South Park role playing game, and in theory, and new company heroes as well. Metro like, yeah, 20. have it's your 2023. So the first quarter seems like it's pretty oh. booked up already. Um, if you venture out a little farther. You risk 
quite probably being decimated by your chief competitor if Grand Theft Auto V ships say, in May. And, and they like to ship in the summer. Yeah, and if you go in the summer, it's a dead time where games typically don't sell super well, though there's so many good summer games this year that may that we may see some good sellers. And then if you... But even then, you're getting to the point where if, if summer's not dead, it might just be dead because at that point, who's going to be buying games? Everybody's going to be getting psyched for the new systems in the fall. So I just... I wonder where this game is going to fit in in 2013. I really don't know. I, maybe, like, at their their fiscal year beginning in, what, probably May, April, May? Like, that would be the ideal space, right? But if GTA decides to come out, then, yeah, it's screwed. Yeah. But I, I assume they would want to come out of that fiscal year gate really strong. I So, I mean, I'm... Jason Rubin is a, a much smarter, savvier businessman than me and also paid a lot more than I am, so I'm sure he knows what he's doing. But Good luck. <laughs> from, yeah, from my, from my gamer uh, media guy perspective, it seems, seems a little odd, but who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. So, uh, and one other bit of THQ news, also not necessarily great news. Their vice president has resigned, which seems a little odd considering the timing, given that Jason Rubin just took over. Do you think this is uh, could be a, a butting head situation? Yeah, it could be like a in like a, a full on in with the in with the new out with the old sort of thing going on with the president. He left just before E three, and then Jason Rubin's come in. Then since then, they've laid off a bunch of people in one of their studios, and you know they lost the they lost the UFC license, and it's right. just like maybe. Maybe it's just like they're the board or whoever's the investors at this point. It's just like, dude, get let's get them all out. Well, and what's what's uh, notable about this is apparently the position will be filled by multiple people within the company. Meaning, yeah, not it hiring. sounds yeah, it sounds like they're not rehiring the position. They're saving the money of not having a vice president. They're eliminating that management layer. Yeah. So. Which I'm, I, I suppose it was probably substantial, you know, you would yeah. imagine. Oh, yeah, these corporate, I mean, we, we know anybody who's paid any attention to the business world uh, and the gold, golden parachute thing over the last number of years in, in American business knows that these guys are pulling down some serious, co- guys and girls, because this is actually a woman yeah, she's in a this woman. case. Is, uh, I didn't jot down her name, but yeah. So uh, THQ continuing to restructure and adapt and try and survive on the fly. Please do. Yeah, please. At least, no, I at least that, until Company Heroes comes out. Yeah, that's I, all I, I, care I about. need South Park to come out. Um, and no, I mean, really, the world is a better place with THQ in it. No, they I have totally a lot of agree. talent. A lot of talented studios. I totally agree. If if ultimately THQ does get shut down, I would hope that there would be some publishers and studios that would come and buy out like the best ones they have. Relic and Vigil and exactly. Like, you know, like someone would just be like, "Well, we might as well just pick them up." Or or, and if ultimately you can't do that, at least hopefully someone. I mean, we see what happened when Sierra shut down and some some of the licenses get picked up and stuff right. like that. Yeah, so. I, I I've said um, I think if if that did happen, I don't want to I don't want to be predicting their death before it happens. But I wonder. I think Activision might grab volition because you know they'd have saints row as something they could potentially build into a big gta competitor yeah and i mean that studio i have to imagine is fairly cheap to maintain they're out in the boonies of illinois Illinois, right yeah totally (laughs) boonies so all right uh so let's get to some good news mitch uh quantum conundrum i've heard of that it's got itself a release date it's actually out on pc if you can't wait to play it if you love portal this game's very portally 
You can download it now on PC, but if you're waiting for the Xbox or PSN version, but of course our audience is waiting for the Xbox version, same day, uh, July 11th, which is literally the week before some of our arcade starts. Oh, I, it is? I thought it was part of the summer. No, no it's, I wondered it's why it's not. Technically it is, in my mind. Yeah. Well, that's when the well summer be, of arcade right. really starts. Exactly what I was going to say is that, you know, this is the unofficial start to summer of arcade because this game looks awesome. Our review is live. Yeah, if you want to take a look at... Uh, at what our, our our man Damon Hetfield thought. Have you've played this game, right, Mitch? Yep. What what are your thoughts so far? I just kind of to like piggyback on some of the things in Damon's review. I just based on the passing moments I played, like just like twenty minutes. Puzzles are awesome. The charm it's super charming and like colorful. It's gorgeous. It's got lots of personality and not so much with any kind of story at all. Like well, you would expect from that kind of game, like yeah. Portal, you know. But it, what's there is awesome. The puzzles are really smart. They're <laughs> four different dimensions to tinker with i was gonna say and that could just also come from obviously kim swift is not the only person that made portal or right, the only yeah, or person right. that made quantum conundrum. quantum conundrum but that being said i always got the impression that kim swift came up with a lot of the the cool gameplay ideas but maybe the story was done by different people yeah, about, yeah totally which Probably. could be why maybe the story on this one isn't necessarily it, yeah, quantum as like, conundrum kind of looks like what kim swift is capable of without valve you know, like what she kind of took away from that from working there yeah and did her own thing and yeah. in a in a somewhat strange i'm reaching a little bit here but quantum conundrum starts with the letter q it's narrated by q from star trek oh really the, yeah the guy <laughs> that plays uh your uncle whose name i forget i uh, wish i knew the name of that actor but i do love star trek the next yeah generation. so the guy that played q in star trek tng is uh he plays the the mad scientist uncle in the game and he narrates see the guy with the big ears mitch is a younger person have you watched much star trek the next generation not tng uh, I've seen like the whole of the original series. TNG is just one I never got to. And by the way, to. the one you're naming with the big ears, you're talking like about like what? That's, that's the Ferengi. I, I was going to say, those guys are bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Q, I, I don't know anything Q about is Star an Trek. omnipotent space being. Exactly. He's basically a, a like a, like a, a, a minor deity. In, in, oh, my bad. He can do pretty much anything he wants. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so everyone for everyone older than Mitch... It's Q narrating the game, and right. you'll understand what that means. Is TNG on Netflix? Yes, all, right. all of it. All right, you Isn't can watch it, it on your Xbox. <laughs> and it's coming out. They're they're doing the super awesome Blu-ray editions uh, I'm not gonna too. Buy so that. I'm not going to buy start it. there, including you can actually start if you live in many major cities like San Francisco. They're showing the first uh, like two-hour pilot in San Francisco in the theater. Oh, really? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I want to go to that. Yeah, of you the should. HD. So. Back when, back when uh, Picard had a little bit of hair. Really? Yeah, very little. But that man's been old our whole life. So it's amazing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's Wait, true. He was like, he got, he got white hair when he was 19. Patrick really? Stewart. Well, really? it's like yeah. uh, Richard Dreyfus. Same deal. Remember? Yeah. Uh, he's pretty much been gray ever since yeah. I was born. Really? That's never not gray. All right. So, uh, Quantum Conundrum, the unofficial start to Summer of Arcade on July 11th. Mitch, take us through. We have prices and release dates and the order so let's take us through the official summer of arcade lineup, right. if you would so july 18th for 15 dollars, you can get tony hawk's pro skater hd which is a ground up remake of the first two tony hawk games uh manuals yes reverting no is that kind of where they landed on that what you don't you tony not, hawk okay never mind i'm too young for no i'm not uh but i just have i'm not a tony hawk guy. okay well that's sad because those games are really good and they so are. is this one i've played it a few times well, and enjoyed the, it the early games are really good yeah not the recent ones yeah i mean and those ones are only not good because they are just like yep this is like tony hawk all right because <laughs> they tried a weird skateboard peripheral that oh, spectacular. God, oh wow those yeah. don't even tony count. hawk ride 
This is made by that team, though. It's made by the Ride and Shred team. Yeah, they did the port job. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that game is out July 18th for $15. Yes. Uh, the next week, Wrecketeer, which had its amazing E3 performance, is out July 25th for $10. You're such a great Wrecketeer! You bet I am! That's the enthusiasm I'm looking for. <laughs> what a presentation Hell that yes. was. It's so good. I don't know about that game. I, I enjoyed what I played. I mean, it's super I mean, simple, right? It's, like you just, hu- it's it's motion-controlled Angry Birds. Right? Yeah, and it's it's one of the motion... Like it, it gets Kinect, right? Because Kinect games that require you to do very specific motions, like Steel Battalion, mm. don't really work. Wrecketeer requires you to, like, I'm going to pull back this trebuchet and launch it. And then you just kind of, like, spread your arms or make general motions with your hands I to spin your... Microsoft spin your should pay, like, like, $10 million to Rovio to make a, like like, third-person... Angry Birds. Why would they do that when they just have Rocketeer? Well, Activision which is paid them that money. That's true. Activision's doing. Uh, that was a news item that we that just slipped through the cracks on us at E3. It was Activision ponied up with Rovio to to bring uh, Angry Birds to consoles. So yay! If cool. you if you can't get enough of it on your phone, <laughs> you can get it in your living room pretty soon. I spent at least three dollars on that game. So I'm yeah, me too. All the, all those holiday packs, man. Yep, the seasons. So what else? What's that? What's after Wrecketeer? So August first is the game I've actually been looking forward to most this entire year. Deadlight. The whole the whole year. The, the whole year. The, Since I played it, I guess, which was like what February, March. So Deadlight is this crazy looking two D side scrolling Prince of Persia Shadow Complex esque platformer puzzler set in a post apocalyptic right. zombified Seattle. Yes, that it that looks is. so badass. Well, the art style is really cool too because it's. Uh, your character, the foreground, is sort of silhouetted, right. and all the color and detail is in the background, which is the opposite of yeah. what you see in most games. Yeah, and it's it does some really interesting stuff with color, because it's post-apocalyptic, but right. there are scenes that are very, very colorful, but it still manages to look really bleak and dark. And, well, um, here to show show my age again, Anthony, you're with me on this one, It it's very reminiscent of Flashback and Out of This World. People people nowadays might know Out of This World because they just re-released it on iOS. Really? If you haven't played it, that's really? a great way to play sh- it. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Is there a specific iPad version? Or is it yeah, iPad? it's an iPad version. Oh, I'm, ca- I'm downloading that. Another World. It's the, it's the original name, Another World, yeah. but it's full. Sweet. C- customized for iPad. It's very good. I, that's one I never got to on oh. account of being an infant. Now you can. Yeah. And never having a PC until I was, like, 20. <laughs> so after Deadlight on August 8th is Hybrid, a shooter that... I, I, I want to be excited for this, I know, right? Like, right, me too. But it's such a weird thing coming from the Scribblenauts guys. It's exceptionally <laughs> weird. It's completely cover-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not completely. There's, there's shooting with the trigger, but either on the walls or the ceilings, the idea is to outflank your opponent, uh, not in a squad military way, but just in, like, a literally find a way to get behind them to get the drop on them way uh yeah they've changed this a lot from over the last year it used to be almost full spectrum warrior-esque in that you literally didn't shoot at all like it was just about the positioning and then your guys would take care of the rest but now they've Hmm. added more more action and combat to it but there's still no player control you you have no control over like moving your guy with the left stick well not not actively you simply point him from point you you tell your guy to go from point to point but yeah actually like you're not strafing you're not jumping right he just kind of goes i mean it's all it's all jetpack based so you tell him to go somewhere hit a and he boosts over there it's it's an interesting idea the thing i worry about for this about this game is 
anything not called Battlefield 1943, as far as multiplayer-only shooters on Xbox Live Arcade, which is what this game is, yep. have failed spectacularly sales-wise. Yep. They just, you know, it's because this game does not have an offline component. It's just, it's you got to connect and you got to go play. You got to get out there and play with other folks. <laughs> to be clear, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, not connect motion, which is what yes. I, I always hear every time someone <laughs> says connect. Sorry. Actually, no, Mike, I'm not sorry. Microsoft should be sorry. <laughs> it's not my fault. Have you have you played that game, Anthony? Hybrid? No. No. Are I've you... played other Xbox Live Arcade shooters, though, and he's right. They've all, like, even when they did anything cool, like the original Blacklight did some stuff that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And, yeah, and like, uh, I played that Breach game, and it wasn't mm-hmm. terrible. No, no yes, it was. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. terrible. It was so... It was, it was pretty mediocre, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Right. But and, the, the problem is that uh, even mainstream big budget games have trouble gaining an audience in the face of you know call of duty and halo yeah. call and in the face of six call of duty games that continue to dominate the xbox live charts and you know halo but yeah so it makes it it's, just, it's especially o- tough on live arcade your audience already owns these these competitive shooters like the number one thing that i think is the death nail for a lot of these games is they they have like this whole unlock thing in them and i know that everyone thinks that players want to unlock things all the time and that's probably true when it comes to like the next big Call of Duty and right. stuff. But like when it's going to be hybrid, like no one's going to play your game enough to to work through all the unlocks. Good so point. Just give it to them right off the bat. Everyone has everything. Make it fun, right off the bat. Look for hybrid free to play next year on PC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're probably you might not be far off on that. I don't know, man. That could be a good market for them. This could one be. I had no idea about. The next one on on the list. August fifteenth, Dust and Elysian Tale finally coming out. Also fifteen dollars. Are you a fan? I've played Dust. Yeah. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it's cool. Very pretty art style. Base mostly done by one guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Dust is a very creative and sort of fun game to play around with. Every level, even though there are objectives, feels more like you're messing around with a toy box sometimes. Than yeah, I mean, that combo system is just super fun to use, and the the way you can use those weapons, and then the RPG unlock system, the way that all comes together in combat is super satisfying. So Any that- other notes on Summer of Arcade? Oh, yes, as per your note on this sheet. Totally <laughs> forgot about this. Buy any three Xbox Live Arcade Summer of Arcade titles and get $5 back. Uh, as usual, that's just something that Microsoft does every year. You buy three titles from Summer. Actually, wasn't it all of them? It's been all of them. I think it's usually been all of them. So I think they realize that people just aren't buying the two that are always bad. Or maybe the one that's Connect only, right? Exactly. Ding, ding, ding. Well played. Smart man. All right. So, uh, here's some more PC news. Speaking of, of games that may have trouble finding an audience, Ugh. Doom 3, the BFG edition that was announced very recently by Bethesda, uh, in other words, the, oh crap, Rage didn't sell as well as we'd hoped it did, we'd better find something that can make us some money out of id. Uh, so, the Doom 3 BFG edition is going to be re- releasing in October, specifically October 16th, $30 on PC, $40 on 360. 360 version, it includes, it's obviously, it's uh, Doom 3, which came out for the Xbox One, remastered, running in 60 frames a second on 360, uh, well, obviously with achievements, with uh, HD graphics. Also includes the expansion pack, Resurrection of Evil, as well as, I think that there's a new chunk of content as yeah, well. Yeah, there are like some deleted levels that are yeah. now back. And then doom one and two which are currently available separately huh. on xbox live arcade so all of that in the doom package 
for $40. It's interesting they don't position it that way, right? Like a Doom collection with yeah, 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, when, when I just saw the name, I was like, that's too much for just Doom 3. But when you yeah. throw in all the other ones, I'm like, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's not as if, like bad price. I like that you almost used the word offensive. I did. I was going to use the word offensive. <laughs> I, could, I could hear it coming. <laughs> I agree with you, though. I mean, why not call it the, you know, the ultimate Doom collection? Yeah, and, that and seems like it would sell so much better. It sounds like you're getting a lot more if you call it something like that, rather than oh, we just have to call it, you know, we, we have to stand by the Doom 3 name, but... Um, I don't know. I, it, the, the, my issue with this game is not that it's not fun to play because Doom Three was fun and I actually it. by modern it was scary too back in the day. It's scary and by current standards because this is an eight year old game already. It's actually pretty long. It's a good like fifteen to twenty hours long. Jesus, which, which is twice as two to three times as long as most first person shooters now. Yeah, the idea of a twenty hour shooter just blows my mind. Also, Doom Three visually is like right on the cusp of early Xbox three sixty graphics when yes. it came out. I remember that game like, blowing like, my mind. Like it came out on the Xbox the original one but you like like it could not do split screen or anything correct because it, it barely worked it like yeah they had to pull some some hardware some john carmack magic to get it to run on the original xbox exactly so i mean on 360 i could see it actually still looking pretty good with up yeah. textures. And, oh and the other thing i mentioned i forgot to mention because i actually played it for a few minutes at e3 they're doing stereoscopic 3D support as well. <laughs> yes, which which I know John it's Carmack nice. had his own headset there, his I, own version for, of his headset. Not for 360, for PC. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I got to try, and actually I felt nauseous at the end of it. I was That's like, I, I gotta stop. It, it works so well, in fact, that it makes you feel like your 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 body should be moving, and when it's not, it, it's, it's weird. Screws your equilibrium. It's up. pretty weird, but <laughs> anyway. So yeah, the, so the 360 version will have stereoscopic 3D support, and so my my comment on this, I wonder what your guys' take is is that a package like this, there's two things. One, there's only so many dollars to go around to the holiday time. There's a lot of first-person shooters. Halo's the big one this year, as far as the Xbox goes. And, of course, Call of Duty is the other, actually, arguably bigger one. Why? Why? And then Bethesda is pushing their own first-person game, Dishonored, one week before this, on October 9th. So why are you flooding the market when you've got your own other new IP in the form of Dishonored, to, uh, that's already out there in the holidays fighting for, for its dollars. And, and this, this just seems like it's a perfect summer release. Like when it's quiet, when it's dry, and you might go, oh, cool, this whole package of Doom stuff, it's, it's July, there's no other major stuff out. Yeah, I'm going to pick that up for 40 bucks, but I think that 40 bucks is going to be a really tough sell at the holidays. What people didn't see is that you made like a check your watch gesture. Like, what month is it? Yeah. <laughs> 40! I, I, think, uh, I think that, it, you know, it could be a thing that they in, internally at Bethesda maybe know that Dishonored isn't going to sell. They don't have very high projections for it. It's and possible. so you release a Doom thing along with it to help make your projections for that year balance out better. You know, they don't, they're privately owned, so they don't have to answer to investors, but they do. Well, I would say they don't have to invest to answer to stockholders, but they right. do have to answer to investors because they have a right. board. But so it could be that. So makes well, sense. Again, we'll uh, you know, as I love to sit here, it's fun to sit here and and play uh, armchair analyst. We'll we'll check back in six months and see if I was right or wrong. <laughs> I think it'll sell pretty well. Doom over time. Doom? Over time. Oh, over time. Over time. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, the marketplace. Give us a marketplace report, Mitch. What's going on in uh, both retail and digitally what can we what can we spend money on or just download so wow there are 50 dollars games out this week crazy so brave the video game the adaptation of the disney pixar film out now tomorrow uh 
Friday. Well, the film is out Film's tomorrow. Out tomorrow, yes. Friday. Or Friday yes, the 22nd. Sure. Thank you, Anthony. Now we just have a, there, we have a good date. So that's out. Uh, do we know anything about that game? I did not, not know it thing. existed. All right. Not a thing. Moving on. Lego Batman 2 DC Superheroes is out. Also $50. And, and apparently is, good. Yeah. yeah. 8.5 at IGN. Great. And loved it. It's uh, it's the best Superman implementation in any game, and it's a Batman game. So what's that say? And it's a Lego game. So what's that say about Superman games That game otherwise? looks super awesome. Like, watching Greg play, like, open-world Batman Lego game, tons of exploration, lots of Batman characters, and tons since, of costumes. And since, like, Lego Star Wars 3, they've actually done a lot with their with like really taking advantage of the hardware now i mean it's of course the game isn't going to be look like mind-blowing good but the games look way better now that the primary yeah. system they're developing for is no longer ps2 right. for yeah. years it was and, right. and it kind of the other ones were only okay and now they they really do look pretty great see that's my problem with lego games now though is not that they look good but the fact that now they look good because they're using real world environments rather than lego so now it's just lego people running around these very realistic <laughs> worlds and it freaks me out it's a fair point and I, I really liked Lego Star Wars because it was just almost all Lego, aside from, like, you know, sand and stuff. But Sure. I will say that I think, you know, so many developers we either, were either complaining about for one reason or another that they're doing this or not doing that. But Traveler's Tales, the developers behind all of the Lego games, deserve a ton of credit for not only taking the lego thing and building it into a an empire building it into an empire. see what i did there totally not on purpose even but um but doing so in a way where they've actually kept it pretty fresh like between you know there was lego indiana jones lego batman lego star wars there have been a lot of different lego games and they've all been they've all been fresh and fun enough where it hasn't it somehow managed to not get stale yet they, those guys have a pretty good idea of how to utilize key moments of a license even using moments from a movie without just simply retelling the movie so point to point that it's just boring that's right. my concern for lord of the rings because they're using like straight up the audio from those films so presumably they're just going to recreate those scenes as is hmm well to some extent they, they might goof it up a little but for the most part i feel like it's going to be pretty you know lord of the ringsy you're be. gonna have to toss me yeah there will definitely be stuff like that <laughs> yep of course so there is a batman demo on live arcade right now or, oh, uh, good. just live right now so you can check that out you can also get the demo for uh <laughs> steel battalion heavy armor which is really good i like that we well, don't have a price on that for this which is good because next week it'll be like 20 dollars. oh yeah so yeah. uh well you're saying de- there is a demo there but is we're there talking about we're talking, still talking about retail yeah. releases so steel battalion is out now and if you are really sure you want to play that game please play the demo because it will kind of reaffirm whether or not you really will enjoy this game odds are you won't it's got problems and it's, it's really depressing I, it, believe me it breaks my heart to say it but it's a terrible game and the demo is very indicative of that <laughs> how about on live arcade my friend? live arcade we have magic the gathering 2013 uh, magic the gathering duels of the planeswalkers 2013 yeah, it's becoming an annualized release. Which is fine by me. I mean, I don't, I'm not huge into magic, but every time these games come out, I get like super jazzed about it again for a month. And they give, uh, if you bought the previous ones and you buy this one, you get like a free deck. Like, cool. So. And I just love that um, I root for these games because they're developed by Stainless Studios over in the UK, who are the guys responsible for Carmageddon and the guys currently uh, rebooting Carmageddon via the Kickstarter. Oh, that was so. their Kickstarter? It was. Cool. Oh, nice. yeah. I, I backed my friend. Ten dollars on Lamarcade. Carmageddon's good times. Magic the Gathering. Carmageddon to out in two years, I'm sure. Probably. <laughs> yeah. You know, these things take time. And uh so yeah, you mentioned the playable demo of Indeed. 
of Lego Batman. Anything else we can download that's interesting? Games, basically, except Brave. Uh, so if you, if you have an iPhone or an iPad or any Android device, I'm pretty sure that's how Android works. I don't know anything so about So most phones. Most phones. If you have a smartphone, you have the My Xbox Live app. There's an update that came out uh, last week that we've been tinkering with around the IGN office. It kind of gives you control over your 360 using a controller on your phone. Uh, it lets you boot up stuff on the screen using your device doesn't really work that well no we could we did not have good luck with it at all it, mm-hmm. it drops connection constantly and even when it does work it's very very laggy i i did hear from some of our readers on the comments uh, to our story that some people were having no problem and it was working wow. just fine but we were we were not having such good luck maybe we can blame at&t in san francisco for that i'm not sure yeah. but I'm not, I'm not really sure why you'd want to do this. Yeah, I don't. I don't know in what context I'm going to be sitting on my couch going. Man, I mean, honestly, don't the, want to the use only a controller. the only real thing that comes immediately to mind is if you're if you're just watching a movie or consuming media on your 360 and you're sitting on your couch, maybe with your wife or whatever girlfriend. The controller is A, somewhere else, and B, turned off. So maybe you've got your phone right there and you need to pause or you need to do something. It's easier than trying to go dig out the controller and hold down the guide button to turn it on. And this is not, as a lot of people thought via emails, unlocked at iGen.com, this is not smart glass. No. This is... Maybe a precursor. I don't know. It's it's very thin. Like There's not a lot of functionality here. Uh, so it's not necessarily the first step in, in smart, in smart glass. glass direction. <laughs> yeah, so d- don't fret. There's a lot more to smart glass than a terrible 2D controller on your screen. Well, well. on that note, we will, uh, we will end this segment. So we'll come right back here. We're going to magically plug in our interview with Walt Williams, the lead writer on Spec Ops The Line at 2K Games. Hope you enjoy it. My first guest since actually coming over to IGN here on Podcast Unlocked. It's a man I know well because uh, I interviewed him a few weeks ago on my old podcast, but it's good to ac- actually meet you in person. The last time was on Skype, so you're here in the studio. Walt Williams, lead yes. writer Hi. from 2K Games. Specifically, we are here to talk about Spec Ops The Line today. Walt, you must be either really, really tired uh, and or really, really excited since this game's coming out in four or five days now. It's a it's a mixture of both, yeah. I mean, we're finally shipping uh, June 26th next Tuesday, and... Um it's a bit surreal, really. We have I know we have the we have the boxes in the office and I was able to actually pick one up and hold it and it's almost uh it's a bit unreal. You you don't even I don't know, Tuesday's gonna come and it's probably gonna hit hit me at that point, yeah. but uh Tired is also a pretty good way to describe it as well. Well and you, uh, I see two K spared no expense this time around the the, the copy that we got for our review, it's some sort of uh, limited copy with a little little gold foil embossed action Ooh, on the front. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's uh, spared no expense, as John Very Hammond nice. would say. <laughs> uh, so for anybody that may not have been following the game, I mean, I don't know, it's pretty much impossible not to have followed it. It's been in development for like five years now. You have to have heard of it at some point along the way. 
But just as as a refresher, because there are six million games out these days, can you give us uh, for the seventeenth millionth time in any interview you've done just the the basic background on Spec Ops? Yeah, sure. Well, Spec Ops the line. This is Two K's first attempt into the military shooter genre. We were um, looking to you know it's a genre obviously that has a lot of fans. It has a very strong uh, contenders already out there, and we were looking to you know make a game within the genre that would have that familiar, dark, deeper narrative that people come to expect yeah. from 2K games. Um, a lot of people, you know, they ask, you know, it's a very crowded genre. Why would you think about making a military shooter at this point in time? And for us, it wasn't so much that we were looking to necessarily compete with these other titles or even try to, you know, quote-unquote, kill these other titles. <laughs> um, we, want, we felt that there was a niche in military games that was not being filled, and that was these more the more personal... Uh, grittier uh, military stories that you really see in uh, films about war and right. books about war. Well, it and is a very different game than a, than a Ghost Recon or uh, a Gears of War, certainly, as far is. as other third-person shooters oh, go. Oh, absolutely, because we, were, we didn't want to tell a global story. This isn't about countries fighting each other, terrorists that have a nuclear bomb or anything <laughs> like that. It's, uh, it was always meant to be a personal story yeah. about the men who choose to become soldiers and what happens to them when you put them into an increasingly bad situation, how they begin to break apart and get torn down to, you know, really kind of like how the sand with Dubai has right. torn that luxurious city down to this ruin of a metropolis. How so the, that, that is the big hook, really, um, for, again, anyone unfamiliar with the game, not the big hook, but a big hook is it's not uh, a game set in a city, really. It's so it's, Well, it is set in a city, but you've got you're in, we're in Dubai, which is a place we don't travel to in video games too often. Right. But it's been completely buried by sand. It is. The, this is about, the game takes place about six months after the city has been ravaged by these cataclysmic sandstorms. And uh, what it was happening at that time is that Colonel John Conrad, the commander of the, uh, the 33rd Infantry, mm-hmm. also known as the Damn 33rd, they were coming out of a tour in Afghanistan and saw the situation over there. And they volunteered to help with the evacuation. Mm-hmm. And as they were leading the caravan out of the city, this uh, largest sandstorm yet comes through and wipes it out, and no one comes out on the other end. And everyone is assumed dead. Uh, The city is shut down, uh, declared a no-man's land in an attempt to stop looting. Uh, But then six months later, a broken radio frequency gets picked up out of the city, and it's believed that there might still be survivors within. And so you are sent in as Captain Martin Walker, the head of a small three-man Delta recon squad, just to enter the city and see if there are any survivors, and then to get out, and if there are, radio for an evacuation battalion to come in and get everyone out of the city. What you find, however, is that not only are there people still alive, but they have descended into madness and war. (laughs) And rather than leaving as you're supposed to, you choose to go further in to try and find Conrad, find the 33rd, and help them, and end up becoming just another cog in this kind of madness uh, and war and fighting and become really the center of all of this as you move further into the city. Well, your description right down to the name Conrad is reminding me of Heart of Darkness. It is. It, admittedly, there are parallels on the surface to be drawn. Um, Conrad was an obvious homage to the Heart of Darkness, yeah. but it, it's definitely worth noting that this is not our attempt to adapt Heart of Darkness or to make our own apocalypse now mm-hmm. as a video game. This is, once you get into the game, where you it becomes quickly apparent that this is not a retread of that story, where you have Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now, the focus of the narrative is this Kurtz character that you're kind of peeling back the layers on as you get closer and closer. Really, in our game, the character of Conrad 
which would you know be the equivalent of Kurtz, is just the catalyst that starts this journey. This has always been about Walker and his squad mates Adams and Lugo, and peeling back the layers of them to see who they are and how they change and grow or uh, break down as they get further and further into this city. Now, it's funny, you touched on something at the beginning I want to come back to. Uh, you talked about how a, a darker, grittier, more adult story than, than other third-person shooters. Really, that's when you think about it, that's seemingly become uh, a, a mantra of, of 2K itself. Where We don't really see, I mean, they have a couple things, or at least they did, the carnival games and such, but it seems like most of 2K's output is very much geared for adults. And now, as, as somebody who is the lead writer at 2K, you work on a lot of 2K's projects. Is that something that that um, has sort of happened organically, or is that something that that's more of a that's more of a, a strategy, both maybe on the corporate level and um, for you uh, on, on the writing level? Or you know, are you pushing these things, or the creative types pushing these things, or is it just something that sort of has come together by accident? Well, I think it's it's more that. When you have a creative project that you're working on, and especially from a narrative standpoint, you want to, at the beginning, ask yourself, what are, what are the themes that I am interested in exploring? What are, what are the themes that are going to be, one, intriguing enough to me that I can work on it for however many years? Yeah. It's going five to be required. in this case, yeah. you were telling uh, me earlier? Between, well, five since the initial uh, concept pre-production mm-hmm. phase. It, uh, hard, hard production has only been about three, three and a half years. Still a lot. Still a long time. Absolutely. Um, and, but then the other question is, you know, what's going to be an intriguing uh, narrative and themes for the player to explore about themselves and about the characters? And really, when you start to get into those themes and really think about doing something a bit more intellectual, a lot of times it ends up being darker because these are characters that you're going into their lives, especially when you're making something like a shooter. And if you're going to get into the intellectual aspects of that, this is someone who is having to kill for whatever reason uh, the narrative has uh, set up for him. And that's going to put that person, that character, into a darker headspace. And it's, it's, I think it's more of an organic thing of trying to find the heart of a game where violence is... The heart is of darkness. Yes, the heart of darkness, if you wish to say, <laughs> yes. But, I mean, when you think about most games, you have a, uh, an aspect of violence to it that is yeah, your main way of interacting true. with the world. And if you want to get into the head of that character, you're going to end up with a darker narrative. Well, speaking of getting into the head of characters, uh, another big hook, besides the setting, besides the, the sandstorms for Spec Ops, are the, uh, the moral choices that you are presented, both apparently large and small through, uh, throughout the course of the game. Um... You were, uh, you've, we've seen one, there's been, there've been some examples. Can you kind of, you know, and we, we get pitched this a lot as gamers. Oh, you know, you're going to be, you can be good or evil. You can do this or that. How does it work? And what, what sets it apart in spec ops as opposed to the sort of binary choices we see in other games? Well, right off the bat, I think the first thing is we're not saying you can be good or evil. Um, this is not a situation where we've created moral choices that are going to be systemic and pop up and okay, if you hit A for good, B for bad, you'll get this gun or you'll get this much new ammo, and at the end, we'll calculate it up and give you an ending. These are these are moral situations. We wanted them to grow organically out of the narrative. A lot of times, these choices, they will come up, they might be the climax to a larger narrative arc, something you've been building to. Uh, maybe perhaps uh, someone that you've been trying, that has been kidnapped or taken hostage that you've been trying to save, and when you get there... Um, you find that there's a choice between him or saving maybe some innocents that are caught up in this scene. Mm-hmm. But 
generally, it's not about good versus bad. It's more about minimizing the collateral damage of what your actions may cause or simply trying to ask yourself as the player, what is it that I want to do in this scene? What am I the most comfortable with? Because we kind of feel that we, as gamers, we've been trained at this point when it comes to moral choices to think, what is it that the designer wants me to right. do? What is, the, what is the choice that gives me the best gameplay experience? And we've stripped all of those rewards and game feedback out of the choices. Um, you're not going to get anything for picking one way or the other. You are simply going to have the scene then play out with the consequences of your action as it would in real life. And then you have to deal with those consequences as the player within yourself. So it sounds like the 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 story choices, the moral choices that we're going to see in Spec Ops, rather than you affecting the game, meaning it, you know, we might branch one way and go down this way. There, it's more your choices affect uh, your you and your your experience Ab- with the game. Absolutely, we wanted to create. There are there is some branching. I don't want to yeah. say that it's entirely linear, but each choice has its own level of branching. Mm -hmm. It's about the characters that are in that choice. If a certain character survives a moral situation and goes on further into the narrative, obviously it's going to branch based off of what that character experienced. We wanted to design them where really the player is not considered the center of the universe at all times. There are going to be other characters that see things differently and react differently. You may think you're doing something good, but you can't get into the mind of the other characters in that situation, and so you don't know how they're going to react at the end of that choice. You don't always know how your actions are going to play out. Well, all that being said, uh, so can, are we looking at multiple endings for this game, or or, uh, or no? There are multiple endings. Um, outside of that, I'm hesitant to talk too much, especially since we're only five days out. Right. Um, don't want to spoil things so close. Yeah, you've, you've made but, it this far. There, there are multiple endings. They are not decided by adding up uh, the choices that you've made. It's done in a different way that uh, people uh, and we think players are going to be a bit surprised by. Um, outside of that, if you, you know, if, if if we were talking in a in a week from now and you asked me that question, I could maybe go into a bit more detail. But um, uh, yes, I, I can just say for now there are multiple endings. So I want to get into sort of your job a little bit because. I mean, uh, I'm just I'm fascinated by by what it is you get to do for a living. I, I'm very fortunate to get to do something I love to do, but I've always thought, man, it would be not. I mean, I love writing about video games, but actually writing video games is a, on another cool factor entirely. So I'm curious, uh, what's the process for you? Do you start like, say for, for instance, with Spec Ops? Do you start with a big idea? and then add details and layers around it? Or do you think of a character and then build a game around him? How does it work? Um, well, I know I personally, I usually start with just kind of a, a story summary, just like a one-page idea of where the story is going to take place, what are the main themes of the story, what is the catalyst that causes the, the situation for the player to come into, and what is it building to? So usually have a concept of a beginning and an end, and a general arc, and uh, a sense for who the characters are going to be. But the thing with games, writing a game versus writing any other medium, is that you have to be open to much more collaboration in Mm -hmm. games. So once you get to about that point, then I have to hold off. (laughs) And I need to give that that summary and that uh, sense of ideas to the design team and see where they go with it. What are the levels and the visions that they have that work within this uh, this story? And then they bring it back to me and they say, okay, uh, we've got 
these parts of the city. We've got these ideas for set pieces, uh, these ideas for enemies and things and what can happen. And then I go, okay, cool. And then I take that back, what they've built, and I begin to flesh out that story summary into the world that they have started to create. And it's it's kind of a back and forth collaboration where you're both constantly revising and tweaking and making all the pieces fit together but you have to be very to write games you have to be very open to collaboration with other people the 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 script is not god when <laughs> writing games like it can be in in other mediums right well that segues perfectly into another one of my questions so you're saying that you definitely have to take Jaeger's design and and Jaeger's ideas and and write around them. Does it does it go the other way? Do they do, do you write something where they go, "Wow, we didn't even think of that. Well, let's do a whole new level based on this idea." Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, some of the best uh, moments and the best collaborations are when I would write a scene or a moral choice is a very good example and send it over to the designer and 2 days later he brings it back to me. He's like, "Hey, um I actually added five more things for you to do in here, so you might want to uh, write stuff for that. By the way, and those are the those are the great. I love that. I uh, you know I'm looking for uh, when I work with a team for for because I'm not a level designer. Um, you know I'm not going to be able to get in there and do the things that they do. That's yeah. their expertise. So if they look at what I've written and they see other things that they can add to it. I, I want them to. That's that's their job. That's what they're great at. Sure. And when you have everyone, rather than constantly feeling like they're compromising or just fighting each other over wanting, well, my vision is the one, but instead everyone's building on top of each other, you end up with a, a game that ha- I feel has more of a cohesive vision at the end. You can, you can sense that everyone was on the same page. And uh, that's what we were, we were very lucky to have that, working with Jaeger uh, on Spec Ops and I think you know the the final product that we have now is something that I think everyone is really proud to stand beside. Are you are there any is, are there any things in the game that you just super believed in and totally had to fight for? Where they were like, oh, we can't either we can't do this or we don't have time for this that that you just had to stand up for and uh, that that uh, maybe a battle that you won or didn't win. Uh, there are a couple, none of which I can actually describe yet because there there was there, I, I'll say this there was one very big moment in the game. Okay. Um, and it caused a lot of question of, should we do this? Um, from a moral standpoint, from a, a creative standpoint, uh, uh, everyone had their own... Some people were, were very, very for it. Some people were very uncomfortable with it. And ultimately, uh, we had to step back and look at it and say, is it true to the game? Is it true to the moment? Is yeah. it putting the player in the emotion, in the same emotional state that the character of Walker is in? And ultimately it was decided on, yes, that it was. And, um, cause we had, the thing is when you're telling a game like this, when you're a shooter that is kind of designed to make you question the act of shooting mm-hmm. or at least contemplate actually pulling the trigger, uh, you have to ask yourself, is this a game people want to play? Right. Do Does someone who picks up a shooter want to be thinking about the act of shooting, or do they simply want to be entertained? And the answer that we came to was that, yes, people do want this. People are looking to engage more emotionally with the games that they play. When you look at the other type of art that we enjoy, books, movies, music, we, ex- we use this art to explore our emotions safely. Uh, feeling sad, feeling angry, things yeah. that you may not want to feel in your day-to-day life, we, we find this in our art, and we actively seek it out. There's no reason that games should be any different. Games do not always need to make us feel good, to feel <laughs> like the hero. Sometimes they can make us feel like we are weak, we are sad. Games are the only 
medium that we can that we can literally step into the shoes of another person and experience something we may never experience. They can, in many ways, I think games can ultimately evolve into something that make us more emphatic people, more sympathetic people. Um, the, the question is just boils down to, and in, in that moment, is this, the, do we want to do that? And it was decided, yes, we wanted to try to do something a bit different. Well, it's interesting. You hit on a, a point I wanted to bring up, and that's, you're talking about a game about do I, do I want to shoot or not? Um, I'd say Grand Theft Auto series has been has has battled this forever, obviously to no detriment on their on their part. But uh, how do you reconcile moral choices involving you know potentially killing a character in a game or not in a game where you're just shooting hundreds of people? Well, we for for one thing, I think the the, the term of moral choice has always been something I've kind of been hesitant about calling them. They've always to me felt more like moral tableaus, like it hmm. is a situation that you're walking into where you're presented with a choice the morality aspect of it is never it's like i said earlier when we were talking about it, it's not about good or bad it's about minimizing the damage figuring out what is going to be the best outcome that you could possibly want out of this and trying to reach it uh because that's the thing is you are in combat you are a soldier you yeah. have a duty and a mission that you are on and to be able, you you can't suddenly step out of this combat mode and say, okay, well, what is the good thing that I'm doing here? You're absolutely right to say, how do you, you know, reconcile those two things? And I think when when people get into the game and they see these kind of choices as they're coming up, they're going to understand what what, uh, what I'm saying here in that they are not a so much of a moral choice of, well, now I'm the good guy or I'm the bad guy, but this is a, you're a soldier on a mission. This is now in front of you what is the best thing for you personally to do not what is the best thing for walker to do but you the player yeah. you know because you're coming into a game with your own emotions your own experiences your own morals what is the best thing for you to do and that's really what we're wanting people to do is that at the end of this game kind of ask themselves why did i feel this way um see how other people are feeling the game i think some people will get to the end and they will hate walker they will hmm. um they will think that he's weak they will think that they, they will be ang possibly some people will be angry at us for designing a game that put them through certain situations they were not comfortable with. I think some people will walk away feeling that Walker is a hero and was perfectly justified in everything that he's done. Um, my hope is that people will see that everyone is having different reactions to it and will question themselves as to, okay, well, why did I feel this way about it? So we're talking to Walt Williams. The game is Spec Ops The Line. A friendly reminder, the, there's a playable demo up. You can download right now and try it out before yes. before Tuesday. And, and it's out on PC as well. So it's a 360, PlayStation 3, and PC out yes. demo right now. Let's go try it out. Game's out on Tuesday. So, Walt, um, how much time during a project... Because, again, we've, we've talked about how long this project has gone on. Three and a half years of, of core development, five total years. How much time during a project uh, are you actually actively writing? Um... Probably, a, well, really uh, pretty much all of the core development time. Uh, so about three, three and a half years of active writing on this. You take breaks because you have to, things get implemented and you wait for yeah. to see how it is in the build and then you tweak from there. But, uh, you know, you're constantly writing and revising. You're getting new ideas. Other people are providing you feedback. Levels are changing. It's a, it's a constant process. I mean, I get up every day, five to six days a week. I wake up around 730 by nine o'clock, I'm sitting at a computer and I'm writing until about noon, then peanut butter sandwich time. And uh, 30 minutes later, jump back and write to about five. And I do that about five to six days a week. Um, 
sometimes seven. Uh, usually if I'm working on site, I'll work seven days a week. Um, but um, it's just, you know, it's for writing anything, really. I mean, when you think about all the aspects of what you have to write in the game, you don't have simply just the main story. You also yeah. have uh, battle chatter, uh, the lines and things that are being said for every individual combat. Sure. So obviously that's going to be constantly evolving. You have uh, intel items, you have backstory, you have uh, PR items. You have to write uh, blurbs for strategy guides. You have oh. to. I mean, there's so many. There's so many different aspects of writing a game that you don't think about outside of the main game that um, they're just constantly being thrown at you. I think I've written. You know, every couple of months you get. Oh, we need a story summary doc. Like, well, what happened to the last one I wrote? Uh, we can't find it. Okay, give me a few <laughs> hours. I will write you another story summary doc. And um, this sounds like the part of the job I would not <laughs> enjoy. It did. I will admit, writing story summary docs are probably uh, my least favorite thing. Once once you're into the project of, well, but guys, you already know what it's about. Why do I have to? <laughs> yeah, well, why are we typing you write it up it. again? Yeah. Well, um, you, uh, you know, you're talking about about, uh, and we're talking about the process during during the game and and how long it is. How did this, in this particular case with Spec Ops, how did the game's multiple delays affect the story? Did did uh, the narrative evolve or gain anything from, from oh, all this extra time? God, absolutely. I mean, really, I think when you're writing something, I mean, you know, you would know this as well as a writer, that it's, you're never really finished. I mean, if I could, there are things now that if I could go back and, and tweak and change, I would absolutely do hmm. it. I would never be done writing something. You, there, you eventually just have to reach a point where you have to let go. Uh, I think the longer that you have to refine a story, uh, the better it always gets. Um, because uh, the truth of the matter is, I, for me, first through third draft of anything, I don't consider readable by anyone. <laughs> um, you have to really... Writing happens in the revision process. So the longer you have to go in and refine and tweak and polish is always going to make the story better. Um, I would say from the first draft of the script that we had to the final draft of the script... Probably while the main story stayed the same sure. and the characters stayed the same, uh, the twists and the turns and the the events that got these characters from point A to point B, uh, probably eighty percent of those changed completely. Wow! Uh, because you're the thing is you're constantly coming up with new things, and an idea may feel good in your head. It may have, it may feel good the first time you put it on paper, but once you implement it in the game, you see that it's not really working. It's not really true to the the broader vision that you had or even uh true to the gameplay experience because that was one of the things we really wanted to do is that any of these bigger moral moments or uh the choices in the game we wanted them to be directly tied to all of the 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 gameplay options that the player would have outside of that moment as well we didn't want it to be we didn't want to pause the game and suddenly turn it into okay now hit this button to make your guy do something extravagant like it, we wanted it to be built out of the core mechanics yeah how many times have you played through the game at this point oh gosh uh <laughs> surprisingly a lot less than you would think uh probably I, just maybe parts of it over and over is well, that more the thing is once it got into the final polish phase i actually found that for me it was better to have someone else play it for me because when you're going through when you're trying to polish the pacing of the lines and like uh, you know oh, well i can't really hear this line here and things like that it, it's actually very distracting to be thinking about oh wait no I'm almost in I gotta get to cover I right. have to go ahead you know your your brain is working on two different levels when you're trying to play the game and also make notes about uh, uh, the line placement and things so intern 
Play this game for me. Exactly. Uh, uh, except I don't get interns. I poor, uh, a poor level design guy has to stop his work and slug over to my desk. And okay, how long is this going to take? It's really fast. I promise. Um, but um, and watching him and being able to take notes. Um, so. And once you get into that final, really start polishing uh, stuff on the game, I actually kind of like to step back from playing it because I like to wait until I can get the physical game in the box and play the full final experience so that when I get my final personal judgment on uh, how it's come together, I'm basing, I'm I'm experiencing the same thing that the gamers are experiencing because, but that, that being said, to answer your question, I've probably played the the whole game a hundred plus times. Wow. Um, And you don't have a single real achievement on your real profile for yeah, for all I don't, that effort. I don't have any achievements at all. <laughs> uh, I've got a few more questions for you. Well, uh, we touched on the endings a little bit earlier. You mentioned multiple endings. Endings quite frankly mostly seem to suck in games these days or at least it's usually the a weak point. It's there you can it seems like the good endings are the exceptions rather than the rule. Uh, do you agree with that and and does that if you do, does does that uh, sentiment become a focal point for this game as you're as you're sitting down to go, man? I really don't want my ending to suck like every other game. Well, I'm I'm hesitant to say that I agree with that because I feel you know I I I feel like that's you know talking down to you know uh, other people in the industry who have made uh, you know been working on games as well, and I think for me. And just the ending of the game that I'm working on, I want it to, I want, when you get to that point, I want the player to feel like no matter what ending they have, that this could be the only ending to the playthrough that they experienced, Mm -hmm. that uh, this is the proper ending for what they emotionally felt within themselves, and that there is closure. Um... If I feel that if an ending, whether it's grand or small, hits those beats then you have written a successful ending do you Um, hate the bullcrap of the obvious like cliffhanger teaser for the next game like i do like you know like a hand comes back up out of the sand i'm still alive mother effers i'll be back for spec ops 2 i i i actually do i I will i will openly admit to that i feel it's okay if you're gonna do that like the end of the credits if you're gonna do like the end of the credits scene like that okay that's fine as long as like your ending was an ending right you want to tease at the end of the credits okay i'll give you that (laughs) but i i i remember I think the first game that did that to me was, I think, Halo 2, and I remember... Well, that's, the, a, that's another matter. That game, it wasn't supposed to end where it did. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was just like, <laughs> wait, really? Seriously? Yeah. Guys? Oh, I, I kind of didn't really know how I felt. it. I wasn't angry. I wasn't... Ups- I was just surprised, and I just kind of sat there for a moment like, huh, okay... It's funny. Can I tell you my my reaction to that? I'm not even joking. Like this is granted, I was much younger and more naive when I. But uh, this because well, eight years ago. But I when when Halo Two ended, I thought, oh, I've got a bug here. There was supposed. I, I clearly <laughs> have triggered the credits when there was supposed to be another level here. Yeah. <laughs> so oh my god. That must be the worst nightmare for a writer is to have somebody react. Um, oh, it's a bug. You know that <laughs> that negatively to your game, but um. What's what's the best written game you've ever played? Ooh. And it can't be a 2K game. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, honestly, I mean, I would go... P- Portal 2, I think, was probably the best game written game in recent memory that I have played. Can't argue with that. Um, not only is the dialogue just exceptional, uh, 
but the moment where they used an achievement to complete a comedic timing like triplet of a joke blew my I, I blew my mind like i had never even considered the idea of using an achievement as like the final like <laughs> note on 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 a joke and it was so perfectly timed i was just like i am shamed i i <laughs> i i want to i have no i'm not this good this is amazing uh just genius genius work on that game i loved i loved the writing in portal 2 um Going further back, I mean, my favorite game has always been Final Fantasy III for the Super Nintendo. Final Fantasy VI in the Japan mm-hmm. version. Um, yep. uh, that the story is just so intricate, and the characters it gives. Ev- there really isn't a main character. Every character gets a, their own full arc and can be center stage if you want them to be. Yeah. And they did so many things in there that were just kind of on the fringe for you to pick up that they never even really totally. Uh, you know, own up to like, there's this whole subplot about a character whose parents are dead. And if you are smart, you can piece together that one of the characters in your party is actually her father. They will (laughs) never, the characters themselves will never figure it out, but you can piece it together. And I like those kind of things always stuck with me that adding layers of narrative to the game that aren't necessarily going to be seen by every player. And I know that we as designers, we have a tendency to be worried about that. Well, well, if 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 a hundred percent of the people aren't going to see it, then why would we do it? Yeah. And, but I think those are those are the moments that really can make a game shine for 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 people because then you feel like you've come across a real revelation of of these characters and what's happening in this world. And that was that particular thing that I was talking about in Final Fantasy III is actually something that I've always think about trying to do when I'm working on writing in a game is giving these extra layers that are there if you choose to find them. And that if they're not there, they're not go- it's not going to take away from your enjoyment of the story. Everything else is still sure. there. Well, you're talking about Portal 2 and um, you know the, the timing, the comedic timing. Uh, it, is, is comedy in a video game because it's an interactive medium, is it just way harder? Is that why nobody does it? And is that why the, the Tim Schafer's and Eric Wolpaws of the world? Have you attempted to write a comedic game before? I have not attempted to write. Well, I, that's not necessarily true. I did some work on Darkness 2 uh, that was uh, allowed to be a more in a more comedic vein. Yeah, well, um, definitely some dark humor there. Yeah, uh, I did I did all of the pickup items in Darkness 2, and I was really allowed to kind of go wherever I want, and they're told through the voice of the Johnny character, who is a bit more of a comedic character, so I was able to uh, kind of play a bit with the the dark humor and the, and the different conventions of the game. But I think, honestly, people ask, you know, why are there not more comedy games? Is it harder to do in games? Comedy in general is hard. That's true. Um, it's extremely hard to do uh, comedy well. You have to have a very good sense of dramatic timing uh, in order to have comedic timing. It's it, it, You have to understand different... You can't simply just be funny. You have to understand <laughs> what's not funny to know what is funny. And um, I don't... You know, I think the interactive medium makes it sometimes a bit more difficult, but that doesn't necessarily, I think, pull away from the fact that you can have funny characters. You can yeah. still do humor in a serious game. And in a lot of ways, uh, I think it's a good thing to try and always infuse a certain level of humor in games because if you just simply start dark and stay dark, then you have there's no comparison. There's no, there's no hills and valleys. You're not actually going to... If Spec Ops had just started at the darkest thing you'd ever seen, <laughs> then there's nowhere to go. Five minutes in, you're completely desensitized to everything, and now I've not put you on a journey. I have just given you the most extreme game ever, <laughs> and that's not what I'm looking to do as a writer. You know, we want you to feel 
that you have actually gone on a journey and changed with these characters. Uh, that's why in Spec Ops at the beginning, like they're very jovial. They're very yeah. calm and relaxed. To them, this is just a come in, look around, and leave. They don't expect any combat. They are being friendly. They're cracking wise. Uh, but as they get further in, that training kicks in. Uh, they, be, they start acting more professional uh, soldiers because they're now coming into combat. But then the things that they see... They, it becomes hard for them to joke. There's they, For a while, maybe some of them will have some gallows humor because they're trying to cope, but it reaches a line where n- simply nothing is funny anymore. They've seen hmm. too much. They've done too much. And humor is the farthest thing from their mind. Well, real quick, I wanted to ask you, um, again, because another, another of my like dream sub-career would be uh, I, I would kill to be a voiceover actor because I just think that's just a, it's an awesome thing not only to be in a game or be in a movie or you know animated movie or what have you but just it just seems like it'd be such a fun job just to wake up in the morning go to a studio knock out some some dialogue and, and go home and it'd be it'd be awesome but so as the writer of as the lead writer on a game um you know you obviously probably hear these lines a certain way do you have any any role in the casting of of the voice actors and then of the actual vo recording sessions oh absolutely i actually uh i'm involved in the casting of all the characters um and i mean you have a, it's a group uh kind of a choice you want everyone to feel comfortable with a, you know all the leads uh, yeah. in a project we all work together to decide who we want but um uh I do also direct the VO sessions. Uh, oh, that sounds like fun. It is. Oh, I love it. That's the best part. Um, and like you, you said, like in my head that I have a certain way of them being read, I do generally, but I try to forget that when I go into a studio because the fact of the matter is I am a writer. Um, I, when I'm writing, I will say the lines out loud to make sure that they have a rhythm mm-hmm. to them, that it's natural to be said. But once we get into that studio, the man on the other side of the mic He's the professional actor. True. If I was the professional actor, I would be reading it out loud myself, but I'm not. I'm the writer. And they are going to interpret the character in a way that brings it to life that I cannot do uh, by just telling them, no, read it this way, because that's Hmm. how I I hear it in my head. That's not a character. That is simply someone repeating uh, my version of the character out there. I want an actor to come in and take that character and find for themselves, where is the heart? How would this person be feeling? We're constantly, like, uh, we, re- we do a lot of rewriting in the booth uh, when I have an actor up there, and we'll, you know, they'll suggest lines and tweak lines, and, oh, that, you're right, that does work better, and we'll just rewrite right on the page and throw it back out and give them a new line. So and it sounds like you encourage ad-libbing. To an extent. I mean, obviously, you know, we need to stay with within the parameters of what, you know, if we're talking about, you know, grenades, uh, we need you to stay talking about grenades <laughs> yeah. and not suddenly be talking about something else. Um, but um, it's what feels comfortable. And uh, especially with when you get into cutscenes, it does get a little trickier uh, with ad-libbing because you have to stick to the animation that's there uh, in a true. lot of times. But uh, even then, like, we'll put a cutscene up there and you'll find that the lines that you've written... Uh, as delivered by the actors, it doesn't fill the whole space. And so you'll rewrite a cutscene on the spot hmm. to try and get rid of a lot of the silent moments and turn it into a, just make it feel more full, more right. fully realized. And, um, uh, but no, I mean, I absolutely love seeing what an actor brings to the table. And one of the things we did with Spec Ops to really kind of bring this liveliness to the characters is with uh, the squad, we actually recorded 
uh, Walker, Adams, and Lugo simultaneously in the same room. Oh, that's that doesn't happen a lot with with VO stuff. It's oh my! It honestly, what you get out of a performance is so much purer when you do this. They like you. They're playing off of each other. They 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 develop a relationship as actors with each other, and they can just get into the roles, and you just get such a stronger dramatic performance out of people, especially when you have these moments where the squad's starting to break down and they're getting angry at each other and. When you can do that and look into someone's face as they're yelling at you and you're yelling back and you can really play off the emotions that they're giving to you, you just get such a richer performance. You know, I got to ask you, uh, I was supposed to have one more question, but I, this has come up now and I'm, I've got to ask you from your perspective as, as a game writer and as someone who's directing VO sessions for games, how do you react to the news that uh, Michael Ironside will not be returning as the voice of Sam Fisher? Does, it, does that bug you as much? Like, Because... Well, it's making me. Uh, I, it's, it's affecting me. It's affecting my enjoyment of Splinter Cell before I've even played the new game. I won't. I can. I can certainly see why there would be an issue from a gamer standpoint. This is this is the voice, uh, the character that you have been used for to for ten years. For ten years. It's quite some time now. The, to be honest, though, and I haven't been totally up to date on it in the past few weeks, but. I don't know if it was revealed why they chose not to uh, go with him. It could very possibly be that he just didn't want to do it. I mean, ultimately, unacceptable. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you do. I mean, I'm sure maybe Michael Ironside had something else going on. I don't know. I mean, there there can be so many reasons. Uh, you know, you don't. I know with Spec Ops, there's sometimes you know like, oh my gosh, are we going to possibly have to recast someone? And you don't want to because you've developed that character with that person right. with that actor and. I know we certainly went out of our way to make sure that we didn't have to recast anyone, and we never did have to recast anyone, uh, finally, by the end of it. But um, I can see why gamers are definitely a bit upset by the news that now he's going to have a completely different voice. But at the same time, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a reason to uh, instantly be against it. I mean, oh, I didn't we, say I, that. no, 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 obviously, but like, we don't know what the new actor is going to bring to the character. Yeah. And there's always, you know, we're, we're used to characters being recast in movies and TV shows. I mean, we rolled into From Batman Begins to The Dark Knight with a complete recasting of the Rachel Dawes character. And True. most people were like, mm, okay, not a, they were, they were comfortable, they were okay with it. Um, admittedly, it might have been a bit. Uh, more extreme if they had recast Batman. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I you know every actor, I think, is going to bring their absolute best to the table. Um, and I think you could still end up with a fantastic Sam Shepard in this next one, and people may, uh, you know, be very open to it and accepting of it. Uh, so finally, now I'm really going to ask you the last question. Okay. So do you, uh, well, do you move on, do you move right on to the next thing when, uh, when the game wraps, or do you act, do you, do you take time off between projects? How does it? How does your brain operate? I actually prefer to jump right into the next thing. To be totally honest with you, I am taking a break because, uh, frankly, I just kind of feel like after the full extent of this one, uh, <laughs> I do deserve a break. That said, my break is a week. I'm getting a week off, and then I'm jumping right into the next some, project. Some, some sunny tropical island where there's no internet. Oh God, and... I'm actually going to Toronto. <laughs> um, uh, well, you can tropical go... sunny. That you those are bad words for me. I'm a writer. <laughs> like I'm very pale. If I get a tan, I lose my powers. It's I, I want I want a city that is that is colder than uh, Texas and uh, because Texas is horribly hot right now and uh, somewhere that I can just walk around and 
ignore my emails and then come back a week later. And honestly, uh, we were talking before, uh, before we started the podcast. I said, you know, I can only go about a day and a half without working before I start to get like the jitters and I have yeah. to pull out a notepad and a pen and start making notes. Um, so this is going to be my first vacation in, I think, two to three years. Wow. So we're going to see how well I actually do uh, at having a vacation. So you're, you're bound to have enough uh, frequent flyer miles from all those trips to Jaeger in Germany to go to Toronto for free. I did, actually. I, I totally <laughs> used frequent flyer miles to go to Toronto. Good. As well you should. Uh, and then, so... Now, when Tuesday rolls around and we finish up with the game, are are you a guy? Are you going to read all the reviews, uh, or are you going to avoid them? I I want to avoid them. I don't know that I am strong enough to avoid them. Will PR uh, shove them down your throat? I, anyway, I, I, whether I'm, you I'm want fairly to or not? certain that I'm going to be getting emails with the reviews in them. For I've been honestly, I've been trying not to think about it. You know, yeah. there, you're at that point, and we've been at that point for a while where there's nothing. My hands have to be off the game. There's nothing more I can do with it, and so. At this point, the game is going to be what it is going to be. Everyone yeah. is going to have their own opinion. And frankly, I feel that if you sit down and play a game at least halfway through, you have a valid opinion of the game. Mm-hmm. And no one's opinion is necessarily wrong if it honestly comes from experiencing yeah. it. Um, that said, uh, I've you know I hope people enjoy it. I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, I don't necessarily need to have the full details of those. I, the, the, the thing for me that I actually think out of reviews that is the, the best thing for me to know are the things that people did not like. Um, I was just going to ask if, you know, it's like if you, re- if you look at the good ones, you got to look at the bad ones too, Oh, right? absolutely. Because that's actually where you can, you're really going to find, okay, where, where was a misstep? What did I think worked that did not work? And then you can take that into the next project. Because honestly, I feel like if, if every project I write is not better than the last one, then I have failed somewhere in, yeah. uh, in the process. You have to learn from your mistakes and improve from that. You know, you know I, I'm a professional games writer. That doesn't make me uh, a perfect games writer. Every game uh, is going to have mistakes, and you learn from them, and you don't make them the next time. Well, what are you, are, are, so what are you writing next? Uh, are, are you working you. a new thing? Are you contributing to Bioshock Infinite at all? Um, other 2K projects I going am, on, or you got something new? I have something new that I am uh, working on with a few other writers um, that I cannot talk about, um, but it is uh, it is new. It's something that people are, are going to be very excited about, um, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting to talk about it when we are available to do so, but unfortunately, if I was to talk about it right now, uh, <laughs> then the PR person sitting next to me would hit me with a hammer and the interview would be over. That actually would be a great way to end the interview. <laughs> I happen to have a hammer right here. For this explicit purpose. No. Uh, so, Walt, thanks for stopping by. The game mm. Spec Ops The Line. Yes. The demo is up now for all platforms. And the game, of course, releases this Tuesday, June, June 26. 26th, 2012. <coughs> uh, pick it up at your favorite retailer or, I guess, in the PC case, you can also download it digitally somewhere, I'm sure. I think so. Maybe. I would think so. Usually you can. Yeah. Uh, whether it's one... Da- digital download service or another but in any case uh, it's out on tuesday it is a uh, third person gritty shooter out in dubai overrun by sand uh it will it will mess with your morals. it's it's not the game that you're expecting that's that's the best way to put it really yeah. right so walt thanks for stopping by it was and, a pleasure uh, we'll be checking out the game on tuesday by the way tune back to ign on tuesday for our review of Spec Ops Line, which Walt Williams will not be reading. <laughs> but the rest of you should. All right, thanks, Walt. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. I want to thank Walt for stopping by. 
and we'll move on to the unlock block, where we can attempt to stump our young Xbox editor, Mitch Dyer, who uh, we've already established on this week's show. He has no idea about Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't know anything about anything, actually. So, um, Have you seen Terminator? The first one? Yeah. All right, just making sure. Come on. I don't know. There's a, there is a stark difference between 80s action films and <laughs> 90s television series. Okay, okay. Well, uh, our trivia question comes to us from, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. I'm probably not going to, so I apologize. Yair Donin from I th- I Israel. I think you got it. I think he, you got he, it. I, I think I might... He's a regular contributor. Yeah, he's good. a super fan. Good. Well, I hope I've at least got his first name correct, if I may have slaughtered the last name. So Yair has sent in... Uh, he's By the way, he's going to win himself a free game. I've got uh, a couple more copies of Mad Riders from Ubisoft, courtesy of uh, Ubisoft. So thanks. hope you enjoy uh, ATV, off-road racing action. It's actually, it seems like a pretty decent game. What yeah, it? it looks fun. Yeah. So uh, we'll get you a code for that. I hope in Israel you can redeem that code code in your region we're gonna find out we're gonna if you don't if it doesn't work um then we'll get you the contact know. for ubisoft let me know yeah let PR me know and we'll try and, and sort it go out go for the throat anyway uh the how this how this segment works is you win simply by having me like your question enough to select it because th- that, that may sound weird or easy but so many people have actually sent in questions that just aren't that fun. They need to, it needs to be a fun question, not too easy. We're getting a lot of really easy ones. Like, really? What was, the, what was the launch day for Xbox 360? November 22nd? For 360? Yeah. November 20th? November 22nd. Mitch no. is correct. 2005. 2005, yes. But, you know, stuff, so it, it's, but it can't be too hard either. There's that happy medium area where there's, a, there's an, a decent chance that Mitch will know. we got to give him a fighting chance. And I think you have a fighting chance on this one. And if not, you can take a reasonable guess. All right. So that's what I'm looking for out of this segment. Um, Anthony, you're welcome to play along as well. I want you to. Our, I need your help. I've looked at the question. I'm not... Our, uh, no our winner, yeah. Yair, just like I said, he just wins anything after this. If he manages to stump you guys, it's brownie points for him. And again, he wins a copy of Mad Riders, courtesy of Ubisoft. And here is the question for you guys. A six-digit number can be found on the Scorpion tanks in Halo. What does that number refer to? Is it uh, A, the day Bungie was founded, B, the birth date of the game's art director, C, the day Halo was officially unveiled, or D, is it just a random number? I'm going to say I'm gonna say it's the day Bungie was founded. That's kind of what I was leaning toward, too. That seems like a Bungie thing to do. Right. I also just like not knowing what the numbers are is kind of killing me. Well, not, not having that example, but I guess that'd be that'd probably make it too easy. That you know might might tip you off. I don't know. So you you guys are both going. Yeah, number one with the day Bungie was founded. Bungie was founded. Yeah. I'm sorry, gentlemen. Mm. It's uh, it's you know I this seems to be a pattern with with game developers. They they love to include themselves in the game somehow. <laughs> it's it is actually the birth date of the game's art director, Marcus Lido. Is his name, huh. who later became the lead on Halo Reach. I see. So, so he just uh, put in his own birth date on these. Yeah, tanks. He just, just threw it on there because it's a, it's like his little graffiti tag, basically. Someone asked, he's just like, ah, oh, it's just some number, man. Don't worry about yeah. it. So, uh, yeah, you're a nice job. You get br- some brownie points for for stumping uh, both these gentlemen. I'm gonna hold that against gentlemen. you for the rest of your life, Yair. <laughs> As Mitch sits there drawing Ninja Turtles on. You're defiling my sh- beautiful show planner. Uh, Mitch draws your Ninja Turtles on everything he can. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So maybe uh, if you send in the hardest Ninja Turtle video game question you can think of, and I might pick it. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Do that. 
There are it, it has to be, Xbox games. Yeah, so it has to be an Xbox question. So we'll leave it at that. So send your question to unlocked at IGN.com. Send the question for multiple choice answers and note the correct one in the email, please. Mitch does not see these emails. I do. So I need to know what the answer is so that we know if Mitch got it right or not. So send it in along with your name and if you'd like it read on the air, your gamer tag so that you can make new friends courtesy of your fellow IGN uh, Unlocked listeners. Yeah. And we will play this again next week. Deep breath. And so that brings us to the end of podcast episode number 60 here. It's a big show. That was long. I mean, we're at an hour and forty-five minutes. That yeah, yeah. That's well, that's, that's huge. That's with that's, our. That's a big interview. With, that's, with yeah. my epic interview with Walt, it was a good size interview. We had a good chat. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and sort of get delving into to Walt's process and what it's like to actually write video games for a living. I'm excited to listen to that. Yeah, I had fun interviewing him. So. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Reminder, of course, visit, visit IGN.com on a daily basis. Make it your homepage. That's really the easy way to do so it. It's just, fine. It comes up every time your browser starts. And specifically, our Xbox 360 channel is where we want you to, to hang out most uh, most of all. IGN.com slash Xbox 360. Anthony shaking his head no. <laughs> it's IGN.com slash PC. PC. It's, it's your landing page. Well, <laughs> not on Podcast Unlocked, it's not, my friend. But also, uh, see if you can top this, Gallegos. Do you have an Xbox Live app for your channel? Nah, my, my face appears on that Xbox. <laughs> it's channel. true. It's true. Yeah, it actually, I, uh, our, I, just, I just have this thing called the whole internet. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. he has IGN.com <laughs> on his PC. <laughs> but check, check out our... Shh, you're not supposed to tell them that. Uh, check out our, our Xbox Live app where you can get all kinds of IGN content straight piped into your Xbox 360 if you happen to be using it. You want to see, for instance, my video review of Steel Battalion Heavy Armor or uh-huh. Mitch's video review of Lollipop chainsaw it's a great way to watch videos that's like the best it it's, it's, it's really like, good. it's probably like the best way to watch IGN yeah, videos it's good yeah. times uh i will give some twitter plugs i'd like you to follow all of us on twitter of course at ign we will pipe out to you all the latest and greatest happenings in the entire world of gaming and entertainment uh anthony where can we track you on twitter uh my twitter name is chuff money but I, c-h-u-f correct yeah c-h-u-f yes so you can find dumb rants there about star wars yeah and, uh, at mitchy d Probably also Star Wars rants, more likely Die Hard. <laughs> and I am uh, at DMC underscore Ryan. So, uh, oh, and of course, the this show, we do have at Podcast Unlocked, which we're slowly growing. Yeah. Um, I need to use it more. I need to make, make a point to get on there more. The, the day tends to get away from me very yeah. quickly. I've kind of just been using it as like a IGN, like the Xbox 360 IGN channel beacon yes well and that's good and we'll we solicit you know if we have something going on on the show coming up like hey send in your questions about this or hey we're gonna have so and so on the show Mm -hmm. next week actually next week's show i have we have another guest lined up i don't even know this um you don't even know this no i'm not sure if i i think it's pretty nailed down uh i think i can confidently say we're gonna be talking walking dead with telltale oh cool next week so cool i think you'll want to tune back for that because that's walking dead episode one is one of my favorite 360 games this year. It's so good. It's it's just two great hours. Anthony's shaking his head no. I haven't played it. Haven't well, played it. I'm just surprised. You will like it. It's wow. really good. I and only played like first 30 minutes. So. But you're like halfway there. <laughs> so uh, Credits are almost rolling. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, most of you catch us on iTunes, where you can subscribe for free. Of course, you can, you'll can you see the post on the, on just IGN.com as well when the show goes up. But yeah, most of you just subscribe for free on our feed 
on iTunes. Um, we may be on Zune Marketplace. You'd think it would make sense if we were. If you're listening to this on Zune Marketplace, can you email the show unlocked at IGN.com and let us know that we're on Zune Marketplace? Because I honestly have no idea. If not, you have to submit it. It's all user-based, so it's ah. it's kind of based on user demand, I think, right? I don't you would, know, you would know more about this. I, I don't even know how we got shows on, on <laughs> Zune Marketplace. Is it? Only people email us from their ghosts. <laughs> no. Welcome to the day. Oh my god. god. Help us. That's scary. <laughs> Help me. Anyway, uh, thanks to everybody for listening, and we will see you again this time next week with episode 61. 61. Yay. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.